1: I just want to not do the job but get the money.
2: <laughs> Who says that? Is that just you? That's just me? Yeah, but not this. This this is not a job. You do I mean, this, every time you've mm, had a job covers working at Sports Direct. And that's every time you've had a job.
1: I've had other bits of jobs. Like what? Like I served food that time.
2: Where did you serve food?
1: For the th- I worked well, I the library didn't get paid for. No. But it felt like work.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and I helped out like three weekends or something in a row at that children do singing thing.
2: You worked with me at uh, Radio Yorkshire.
1: Yeah, that and felt like work.
2: <laughs> only because you had to listen to the show, but you to uh, get
1: teas and coffees. Get
2: teas and coffees, didn't you? So that's what you have to do. In work. training. You're in training for what?
1: For the future?
2: For the future, yeah, good. Well, we're all training for the future, except some of us whose future's gone. Interestingly enough, I got... You know, we we usually start with a little joke, just to test the levels. Mm -hmm. Um, Peter Hassett, who's a bit of a regular regular emailer and also uh, listens to the show on uh, talk radio and I don't uh, know why. listens through to the middle of, well i don't really but he listens <laughs> through the middle of the night he's uh on the subject of plagiarism he's yeah. uh, written a quote here he said they accuse me of plagiarism their words not mine <laughs> which is not bad is it which yeah was, isn't that funny yeah good Oh, yeah. Many, many years ago, somebody like, I think it was George Bernard Shaw or Oscar Wilde, one of those people.
1: I know a lot of, because ju- I'm revising at the moment.
2: Those two people, um, George Bernard Shaw, Oscar Wilde, said so many things that other people have sort of picked up on. Very um, quotable. Yeah, very quotable. I think, I'm not sure, I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said, golf is a good walk ruined. And the comedian John Luke Roberts said, golf is not just a good walk ruined, it's also the act of hitting things violently with a stone. Dick ruined Which I think Yeah amusing. I think That's quite
1: funny good. It's not like One of those jerks Where you're like Ha yeah, ha ha ha
2: ha It's not a ha, ha But ha, it's ha,
1: ha. I think it's funnier Than It's funny
2: Good, good. Who said
1: that again I've forgotten uh,
2: That was John Luke Roberts Who was a comedian And before that It was George Bernard Shaw Who said Golf is a good wolf <laughs> Ruined um, Yeah Yeah So it's all people With the hyphenated names George and Sean, McElroy, if
1: I and John Yeah, if I was a writer or something I'd be R.A. Kellner. Would you? Because don't you think that sounds better than Ruth Kellner?
2: Yes, it does and uh, people do that I'll tell you what people are doing now is um, it doesn't say what gender, gender you are. Gender, yeah, yeah it doesn't
1: gender you either way.
2: Because yeah. my friend Paul Rising who's a novelist his n- latest novel is published under the name P.Z. Rising Yeah, because it's so you don't know. You don't know. And J.K.
1: Rowling um, did that when she was publishing mm, Harry Potter.
2: But now, of course what everybody does know that PZ Rising is Paul Rising because we've (laughs) uh,
1: (laughs) the the millions of people listening you've blown the blown the cover yeah I just wish you watched game of thrones
2: well there's an awful lot of game of thrones I, I, I found at the moment i'm not watching line of duty i'm not watching game of thrones which means i'm more or less excluded from the national conversation the only thing i, I don't think line is,
1: of duty is worth you watching but i think you would love game of thrones
2: well maybe i'll start uh there was a couple of game of thrones stories actually one was the fact that uh, gosh i
1: didn't even know you had these stories i just was talking about game of thrones So in sync,
2: yes. Well, Game of Thrones, there was one episode that was all shut in the dark,
1: yeah, it was really dark.
2: Yeah, so that one was really dark, and there was another one which was uh, which I also cut out. Ah, yeah, the biggest film battle ever made. That's the same uh, is, episode. Is that the same episode? Mm-hmm. Captured over fifty-five grueling nights of filming in freezing mud, rain, and
1: snow. Whoa!
2: The cast and crew of Game of Thrones were left broken, and exhausted after shooting the longest battle scene ever seen on TV or cinema screens. You, that's already been. So it's when you it's
1: eighty-five it. minutes, and the oh, whole goodness. thing is basically battle but it's brilliant and i've been watching a lot of videos about how game of thrones is actually about the environment so you spend all this time the the whole most of the seven seasons before this one and until sort of the seventh season the whole whole of it is all about who's going to end up on the iron throne and it's about deception and lies and pride and honor and loyalty and it's all about all of these different human problems and that's why people love it so much because As much as there is dragons and medieval times, it's really Mm. about problems that uh, transcend time. But um, until then there's the the Night King, which I'm not going to give any spoilers because obviously people are at different points in it, so I don't want Mm. to ruin it. But... Um, The Night King and the Army of the Dead. And if you've not heard about that, I don't know, you must be living under some kind of rock.
2: Well, I hear these things, but... So they've got to, like, defeat the Army of the Dead. The Army of the Dead,
1: yeah. Who are just, like, a zombie army with no emotions, and they can't be killed, apart from with dragon glass and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're led by this Night King and the Night King is not human and he just wants to destroy humanity and that's kind of like symbolic of um, the environment and no one really cares about it until it becomes absolutely dire and then they ask people to band together but actually the the Northern armies who fight, so all the armies that go and fight the environment, they give up loads of stuff and it's actually worse for them but the ones who just stay safe and don't give up any of their armies to this big fight, this one that's more important than all the other stuff that's happened, are in a better position now. But they're actually benefiting from the, all the people who fought the environment. And it's really interesting how you worry about all this other stuff and we'll worry about Brexit, but the environment is the thing that we're not facing until one day it's going to march to Winterfell.
2: And do you think that's what Game of Thrones is all about? Is Because people do say well, it's, it's just tits and dragons.
1: It's not tits and dragons, but also... George R. R. Martin said as much. Has he, he said in, in the books?
0: Has he no. Really? Oh,
1: right. There's lots of tension between the writers of the show and the that, I think that's why they've, they've made this season six episodes and I think that they would have probably wanted more seasons and gone into more detail and stuff, but they just want it to be over and done with because George R. 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 Martin won't finish the books.
2: Do you know what else teenagers are watching these days apart from Game of Thrones? What? Friends. You know, I've had my say on Friends a few times, but I can't believe... There was a huge feature on uh, Friends in one of the papers. What they're saying is uh, Netflix, it it only went on to Netflix just over a year ago, Mm. and Netflix now say... It's their biggest, most popular Really? God, I can't believe that. All the other fantastic stuff that's on Netflix. Apparently, already every teenager in the country with access to the streaming platform seems to know whether they fancy Rachel or Monica, Ross or Chandler. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got huge uh, viewing figures. But the bizarre thing is, this person who wrote this is a parent, uh, and a parent in their sort of 30s or so, from reading the uh, timeline in it. It says, a huge proportion portion of the audience of the show which initially ran from 1994 to 2004 so it goes back to six years before you were born and Mm -hmm. probably six years before a lot of these teenagers were born
1: Teen- yeah, I'm an older teenager as well. Mm, yeah, teenagers like are watching
2: actually. characters who are the exact contemporaries of their parents, Yeah, really. For these parents, he says, and I'm one of them, uh, it's truly bizarre to walk into your living room and find Chandler still doing his perplexed double-take thing, seemingly, seemingly stuck in an episode called The One Where the Last 20 Years Haven't Happened. Mm. Uh, and it's they've done an analysis of why people are... Um, yeah, it's a t- Time capsule, isn't it? Why people are watching Friends, no, and th- they say it's sort of for relief. It's to look back to a world that was totally different. Mm. So it's pre. It says no TV show captured pre-internet friendship as well as Friends. It may be a blatantly idealised fantasy, but I think we yeah. all recognise that. Even but at the we, time. but
1: we love Disney films as well. It's yeah. the same thing.
2: Uh, it may be a blatantly idealised fantasy in terms of the lifestyle and sexual attractiveness of the characters, <laughs> but it's also what? it's also convincingly put. Puts across a prelapsarian world. Are you about to ask me what prelapsarian means?
1: No, I know what it means.
2: What does it mean? Because I've not got the slightest idea. Um,
1: Prelapsarian. What what was the context?
2: The context is that uh, Friends convincingly puts across a prelapsarian world. Before
1: the internet, maybe? Should I Google it? Google it. This is the annual part in the podcast where we Google things. <laughs> Not so
2: much annual, it's a weekly.
1: Weekly, yeah. Of or relating to the period before the fall of Adam and Eve.
2: Ah, right.
1: So it's perfection. It's, so it's before something it's, it's before, before, something, before something corrupted something. Yes. But it's a Prelipe religious sound. term. It's a
2: brilliant word for what they're saying because it says it convincingly... How do
1: people just know those words?
2: Well, they might have looked it up in a... You can look up stuff in a thesaurus.
1: Yeah, like I know you, look, you can look up synonyms, but I would never look up a synonym for something that would find that word.
2: Mm. Well, but perhaps the... You know, this is a smart writer. As um, is a word I should probably know. But anyway, it convincingly puts across a prelapsarian world in which friendship was conducted face-to-face in a room in real time and uh, it says the cheesy title song proclaiming i'll be there for you nails the precise anxiety most plaguing modern teenagers for whom there for you is probably a server somewhere in Silicon Valley. This is where the heart of that quasi nostalgia lies. So, people are watching it. What they say is, people are watching it for a sort of nostalgic reason, but being nostalgic for something for they, a time even they never for lived a in. For a time they never lived in, absolutely. Don't
1: you think that that's a very similar thing to what you do with Faulty Towers?
2: Well, it could be, except I did that. I was there for Faulty Towers. I lived yeah, but do
1: you watch it again now?
2: No, I mean, yes, I do. That. I do. That might be nostalgia, but uh, I, I think I also, when I was about your age, I was in the cinemas the whole time watching uh, movies from the 30s. Yeah. Which, well, you if know, you've seen
1: Midnight in Paris, that is the entire thing. Is that he's he's yearning to live in the 20s with the F. Scott Fitzgerald and T.S. Eliot, and he meets this girl, and she's yearning to live in the Renaissance period with. Michelangelo and stuff, everybody wants to live in the time before them
2: in the era just before that
1: it's because it becomes romanticised
2: Anyway, so if you want the ultimate in comfort blanket TV, what better than to wrap yourself up in an era when many of your anxieties, so i.e. talking about Mm. social media and all that, hadn't even been invented yet. But they also say, and I think this is interesting, you can maybe put me right on this, uh, they say teenagers need comedy. The comedies that really speak to you when you're 15, so we're talking about just younger than you, The comedies that really speak to you when you're 15 will be burnt into your consciousness for life. And then what it says is most young adult novels uh these days and um, the tone of a younger adult novel is very rarely light or funny you know they're all dystopian Absolutely. and all that and um, mm-hmm. you don't get funny books for uh, for kids anymore no. and it says friends is sort of replacing that
1: and extent. you also don't really get um, sort of like light-hearted adventure books as much for kids i guess it just reflects an anxiety of the time is you know you would never find someone writing a famous five anymore because even you look at Harry. I think Harry Potter is has to be the the yeah. symbol of the whole of our times and. Well,
2: the, the but- Harry Potter has humor. And, it, in is, it, and it,
1: it is light and it is humorous, but I mean the second half of it, when Voldemort returns, is dark. Like it's dark and scary, and it you know it's as popular as Enid Blyton was, but it, Enid Blyton is much lighter, much less it's not about real things in the way that Harry Potter is Harry mm. Potter is dark and scary and do you remember yes. I used to not be I couldn't read the second book I had to put it away and oh, I still don't, yeah, still don't think I've ever read the second half of the second book or something just because it and scared were, me too much
2: when you were little we uh, read nearly all the uh, Enid Blyton books yeah despite Mallory the,
1: Towers and St Clair's
2: yeah that's right I despite the those. fact that uh, the, the private school experience is fairly remote from your yeah. own real life <laughs> yeah It's interesting that we said that this prelapsarian world of uh, friends, uh, a world before the it's internet. The word
1: of the week. Uh, yes,
2: prelapsarian. That, uh, you know, it's life before the internet because a lot of your anxieties are mm. probably exaggerated by social media. And that seems to have been over the, uh, uh, well, over the months, the year over a year that we've been doing this, almost a constant theme, you know, that social media and the internet just magnify all your anxieties. Yeah. Uh, Uh, But they
1: they also magnify, I think I heard someone speak about it, about... the internet isn't the bad thing. Social media is not the bad thing. It's only it's only a tool, and we can't demonize it or put stuff on it because it's the people using it. The same as people have used any kind of tool, like a gun. I, a gun is not um, inherently evil or bad. Same as social media isn't. It's just people who use it who are. Do
2: you know a bit, what I mean? Bit Donald Trump
1: now. No, well, that's I'm not the NRA. No, I say well, that.
2: well, no, guns, guns don't <laughs> kill people. People kill people.
1: No, but that's. The, I, you know what I mean? Like, guns should be banned because they actually kill people. That's n- it was a bad example. <laughs> it was a bad. It was a really yeah, bad actually example. Quite but, a good
2: example. The, but you understand what you
1: mean, I mean? That the, the the social media is not the inherently bad thing. and no app on it, like Instagram, is not inherently terrible. Yeah. Anyway, but that's all. <laughs> Yeah, I don't
2: really know where I was going. Well, <laughs> I've forgotten that. interesting. Uh, there's a huge survey that agrees with you, which I'll, I'll sort of mention in a second. But there was a piece in The Times about these suicides, uh, 12 suicides in Bristol, Bristol mm. University. And what this woman, Claire Fogus wrote in The Times, she says, some write off this crisis as snowflakery. Oversensitive young people encouraged to relabel ordinary sadness as something more serious. Yet the sheer numbers reporting deep unhappiness suggest a genuine problem. And then she says universities pour about £50 million a year into addressing the crisis. Uh, but what she's saying is they're they're looking at the results rather than the symptoms. So she says they tinker around the edges of the central question, which is why so many students are so unhappy in the first place. So it's cheering you up because you're going next year, aren't you? But uh, not to probably, but t- to you all.
1: there's like a real problem with the way we do university, which is just like just no one wants to deal with it. But again, it's the thing of we're working with systems that were invented. Years and years and years ago and... Mm. and not changing them to fit with a world that is completely different. It's the it was the same thing we were talking about with the NHS. It's just that you keep a system, even though the world is nothing like it was.
2: Mm, well, we were talking about that off air. Uh, yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. About no, no, over, no. The, over the dinner table, but we will um will will revisit that, that, that shortly. She says, uh, but she says more or less the same as you. She says, I wonder whether the very structure of the traditional university experience is a large part of the problem. And she says, let us widen our lens out from university to the particular troubles of being a young person in 2019. And she says, meanwhile, Twitter and Facebook deliver endless doom-mongering about the state of the world, from the failures of politicians to the plastic in the oceans. In the gentler late 1990s, it seemed we only had to worry about getting to lectures on time. Now, idealistic students must feel like Atlas with the weight of a corrupt world on their shoulders. On top of this, there's a financial worry. You know, since the introduction of student loans left-wing stirrers have given students the damaging impression that a mountain of debt will fall on their heads when they graduate crippling them this is absurd barely anything has to be paid off until the recipient of the loan is earning a decent wage but she says financial fears do add to the uh, weight of students worries and this is what young people grapple with before they even arrive and once they're there there's much unstructured time yeah. too much isolation too much distance from the comfort of home uh, etc although thankfully you're uh, going to York so you won't be that far from a cup of the but, but I think she makes good points and I, this was my argument about uh, Brexit and Remain. I, I have these arguments all the time. I was having them the other day with uh, with, the, with your older siblings and everything, that I have no objection to people saying we would have been better off remaining in the EU, because that was what I voted for as well. But the dialogue since then has been, leavers um, idiots, ignorant, northern, old, everything. It's, it's basically they've just told everybody they voted for the wrong thing, mm. which may very well be true. They may have voted for the wrong thing, but... It's, it's making a whole generation grow up thinking, well, we're going to leave the EU, and that's going to be the end of life as we know it. That is, the, that yeah. is what's coming out. It's not going to be the end of life as we know it. It is not. There was, there was a prelapsarian world where we weren't in the EU, and we managed... I, I, I don't think it will be the end of the. We might be slightly discomforted for a while. It might be the wrong decision, and it probably is the wrong decision. But it's not. doesn't mean the whole world's going to. You know, you've got enough to worry about with the environment, which, again, is probably something that can be sorted. It's probably going to be sorted over the next few years. I think, that, I think the years. environment
1: is very different to, to Brexit. I, I agree no, but that. But where the arguments
2: no, come out, that Brexit is the worst. Yeah, thing yeah, in no, the world. I, no,
1: but I agree that it's not a doomsday issue, Brexit, and it, it's not as important as it has been made out to be. And it's just—it's a symbol for a lot of other issues that people people peg onto Brexit. Mm. It's not actually about the Brexit. Um, and besides that, I don't think we'll ever leave anyway, so it's fine. No, well, that's my my biggest one
2: ever leave.
1: But the environment is a doomsday issue. There's eleven—I there, think eleven or twelve years, and after that, there is there's no coming back from it. Like scientifically, there isn't. Like that is a. That is a doomsday issue, and like people who get anxious over Brexit, I would not really understand that. But seeing stuff about the environment is worrying, and it's not—they're not parallels.
2: No, but you've still got to live your life. Yeah, no, you can't live your life with a mountain of worry on you all the time. No, no, you
1: can't. I think a little bit of worry is useful.
2: But would you stop flying? For I mean, you go—you're flying off. I would. I would be.
1: I would be fine to be limited to like one return flight a year. I would be, and um, I can't remember. You know when Emma Thompson talked about the environment, and then every, she got loads of backlash about it because she, she was flying some, she was flying somewhere or whatever. Um, but you, no one is suggesting that anyone has to be perfect to solve environmental I issues. I think Emma
2: Thompson gets a backlash because she's Emma Thompson. What? I think she people just, like Emma Thompson uh... well they like her in what was that film Nanny which, McPhee Nanny McPhee they like her in Nanny McPhee but she is you know people accuse you of being supercilious and self-righteous and all that she definitely is she definitely is when you, so you're you saying you, I am no I'm not saying you are I'm saying people accuse you of it people wrongly accuse you of it
1: there well, we go there
2: you go but um, she probably is yeah. I mean, she's one of these people that does you know so you can imagine the Daily Mail for instance who led with the story yeah. would get a by Amazon but anyway, pressure.
1: you don't have to be perfect for it. First of all, the main the main issue with the environment is massive corporate companies who account for most of the CO two emissions. Like that's the real the really big thing. And no one's stressing that you have to be perfect to solve things for the environment. But personally, I would be happy to be limited to one return flight a year. I don't eat meat. Do you know what I mean? But I I do eat fish. Like I'm not doing. I'm it's, I'm not perfect in any in any manner, but I feel
2: like
1: like a lot of people would be happy to um, only eat meat one day of the week, only eat red meat one day of the week. It's too difficult for a lot of people and it feels scary and then it's like, God, if I have to go vegan, I might as well do nothing.
2: So have a short break and then we'll play some music.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
2: Should we start with mine this week? Yeah. Well, here we go. George Benson. Are you familiar with George Benson? Nope. Well, this is George Benson. Change.
0: Action. We'll see the people of the world coming
1: out to dance. Cause there's music in the air and lots of love in everywhere. So give me the night. Give
0: me the night.
2: Well, that's a, a genre we, uh, we don't play that often. I have, I have
1: heard that You song will though. have heard the yeah. song
2: definitely in uh, either in movies or in, it, It's disco. So basically that's uh, a disco tune from the early 80s. Uh, but George Benson, very, very interesting figure. He was well known as a jazz guitarist, but he was a child prodigy as well. That would have sounded to you a bit like the Bee Gees type yeah, of, type yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's that, it's that era. And he brilliantly adapted himself. He was It
1: kind of sounds a bit like, like Earth, Wind & Fire or something as yeah. well. There. Same
2: era. It's good fun, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he began his professional Something. career at the age of 21, jazz guitarist. Now, I, I can't play the guitar, so it doesn't mean anything to me. But he uses a rest stroke picking technique, apparently, on the guitar. I
1: cannot tell you how much I care about that. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, it's similar to the gypsy style of playing the guitar, uh, as in Django Reinhardt. Who oh, you love Django Reinhardt. Do, and we featured that uh, in an earlier uh, podcast. He's like a lot of other jazzers at the time, Quincy Jones, Herbie Hancock. When disco came in, they all started making disco tunes.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool.
2: Now yours.
1: Yeah, it's FKA Twigs, and it's a song called Cellophane. I
2: Well, I'll tell you what, if that's uh, FKA Twigs on the uh, video that goes with that, she's very flexible. The, she's a, the,
1: the, she used to be a dancer, the, the, yeah.
2: Not at if you, If uh, anybody checks out my internet history and sees that video, it's quite uh, erotic.
1: <laughs> Dad. <laughs> yeah, um, she's...
2: Well, tell me about her. Tell me yeah, about F- she's, um, is that she's, her real name, FKA Twigs?
1: No, I'll explain where her name comes from. So she's from London. right? Her real name is Talia Barnett, um, and she's half Jamaican, but she grew up in Gloucestershire. Yeah. She studied ballet, then she appeared in like videos for songs by Jessie J and Ed Sheeran and Kylie Kylie Minogue and Taylor Cruz and stuff. And then she eventually realized she want when she was that's just when she was seventeen. She was a dancer, and then she realized she wanted to be a singer. And her name Twigs comes from how loudly she can crack her burns. It's like a nickname. Oh, right. so I don't know where the FKA is that song cellophane is just from the 24th of april she is quite popular but she's kind of popular only with like
2: people like yourself
1: well no not people like me but like she's not mainstream popular but she is very popular amongst yeah. other people and then she, her boyfriend this is just
2: yeah all the gossip gone
1: yeah her boyfriend is robert patterson
2: ah right from uh, harry potter
1: twilight uh, he, although he is in Harry Potter. He's yeah. in one of the Harry Potters, but he's known for Twilight.
2: Twilight is his thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah
1: but course. he is in... He, he plays Cedric Diggory.
2: Ah, does he? Harry Potter,
1: yeah. yeah. I, thought I, 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 I thought I
2: knew him from Harry Potter. So, yeah, in, in, um,
1: in Goblet of Fire, obviously, does.
2: Obviously, yeah. Goblet yeah. of Fire. Uh, you, you don't need to worry about playing uh, mainstream stuff, because it's not mainstream to me. <laughs> to me to no, me it's, it's... Well, like I was trying
1: to describe, like, she is really, really popular, Popular but only with a like a a small category of people if that makes sense like a lot of people but she's but got a great voice you not really get played on him
2: um, yeah she's got a great voice and from gloucestershire yeah. you know
1: where in gloucestershire exactly she said she was surrounded by farmland as a farmland.
2: kid she, she's from i think
1: she's very popular in america as well yeah
2: no she's got a remarkable voice and as i say she's uh, an amazing i mean she looks like a contortionist on that uh, on that video <laughs> yeah Should we go through the emails? Because quite a lot of emails this week. Because we we had a a break last week. There was this surprise last-minute exam, which... uh,
1: Oh, apologies. uh,
2: Which I never knew about.
1: Yeah, I can't believe they just...
2: They just gave you an exam like that, that Dad. That's awful. That morning, and we couldn't rearrange it. So, thank you, everybody, for all your emails. Uh, Bob Oberti sent us one here, and he said, like you, I'm a keen Gogglebox watcher. He was commenting on what we were talking about Gogglebox, and couldn't help but think that both of you would make ideal Goggleboxes. Oh, God, I
1: don't want to
2: do that. Obviously, with Ruth's university studies about to begin, it probably wouldn't work, but I can see what good value you both bring to the show. Um, based on both the first and current second season of your podcast. So, Bob is a man, bless him, he's taken serious this first season and second season. Uh, Andy from Sheffield uh, got in touch with us. He said, continuing on the Chris McClure story, you know Chris McClure? He's the person smoking on the Arctic Monkeys album. He's the mate of yes. the Arctic Monkeys. Yes, 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 yes. You may or may not be interested to know that he is the brother of John McClure, who's the lead singer of Reverend and the Makers. Huh. Are those of you familiar with Reverend and the Makers? No. Okay.
1: I did a good Um, reaction of someone who was there,
2: didn't I? Yes, you did. He's also in competition as he does an excellent podcast, or in competition with us, as he does an excellent podcast with the Sheffield artist slash cartoonist Pete McKee, which is called The Owl Sanctuary. It's based on the fortunes of Sheffield Wednesday. And so you'd love to hear that (laughs) podcast about Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And has had some great interviews with the likes of Chris Waddle and John Sheridan. Uh, and you'll be familiar with both Chris Waddle and John Sheridan, would you?
1: Yeah, obviously. Uh, and
2: that's Andy from Sheffield, who does describe himself as a crony uh, from uh, Hawksby and Jacobs. Ah, oh, that's so, nice. That's nice. And Alan Holford said, "Meme of the week." Meme of the week. I thought this was a particularly good one. Um, it's not so much a meme. It's just a it's just a thing that on Twitter, which I didn't think was that great. You could read.
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, you want me to read it out loud?
2: (laughs) Well, you might, because people won't know what it says.
1: No, no, you're right, actually. And the Lord said unto John, Come forth, and you will receive eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toaster. It's not bad. I don't think that's great. But. Uh,
2: and are you going to have to try harder, Alan Holford? Because Ruth doesn't think that's great.
1: He's funny, but...
2: Yeah, you should have given it more oomph. You should have said, And the Lord said unto John, Come forth, and you will receive eternal life. But John came fifth and won a toaster. You've just remembered about a meme of the week, haven't you? Because you're looking through your phone. Yeah. yeah. Pete says he particularly uh, enjoys the fact when you don't know the meaning of a word. So he would have loved pre this week. But hey, I You didn't know, know what pre meant. You're, either. Right. you're right he says he, he can't believe you're going to uni uh, because she says she's never I know so f- so so few words, words. <laughs> he says it makes for a very entertaining podcast though and here are some words for Ruthie schadenfreude I, I know what
1: that means yep. it means taking pleasure in someone else's pain
2: yeah excellent tumultuous you know that yeah means. just like yeah
1: passionate and woof.
2: yeah furore if you are oh doesn't that
1: just mean almost fury.
2: No, it sort of means, Isn't it like, means um, a great big a big, great big row about something. Yeah, you know.
1: like a furious row. Yeah, I would know what that meant in context. Uh, innuendo? Yeah, innuendo. Yeah,
2: you know. He says, uh, not the Queen album, but the actual word he says. didn't know. It's album by uh, Queen,
1: to be quite honest.
2: And Catalyst.
1: Oh, cataly yeah,
2: something
1: you, that makes something else yeah, happen. Yeah, you know that. God, um, it's as if he thinks I'm
2: stupid. It is, isn't it? He says, still loving the podcast and praying for you both to get your own show. He means on um, talk sure. own show on. This is our own show, <laughs> but he means on uh, talk radio. He's a talk radio listener and wants uh, us to be on there. Well, you tell them. Um, yeah, I will.
1: Not you. I meant <laughs>
2: well, Lawrence Wilson's another one who listens on uh, talk radio as well. Um, he says I've gone to the expense of buying two internet radios. Apparently, he's having trouble getting on DAB, one for the bedroom and one for downstairs, just so I can receive talk radio uh, for Martin's show and for the Ruthie Me and My Dad podcast, because I play the podcasts on the show. Mm. You wouldn't be up at three or four in the morning, would you, listening?
1: I mean, if I was, I probably (laughs) wouldn't be listening. (laughs) I'm
2: sure you wouldn't. I fear we will lose Ruthie one way or another when she goes to uni. A lot of people are expressing this fear that you'll disappear from that. I'm sure we'll do some of them, certainly. But he says... What he's worried about is that you'll be coerced by other students into speaking differently because there'll be people that you'll be leaving your sort of Yorkshire peer group, and there'll mm. be people at York University from all over the country. Mm. And this this probably will happen. You'll sort of moderate your accent just to be understood, basically. I don't think well, I that, sound that. No, not to be understood, but to be you know you will be yeah no, but you do of, anyway be because you end p-
1: up talking how you talk how, around the people you talk to. Yeah. But like, I think I sound way more northern when I'm with my friends. Because yes, they're all really
2: you, northern, yeah, and so you probably do. I go but what more I'm northern. saying, you'll go to university, and you'll maybe get in with a crowd of posh people from Hemel Hempstead or wherever, and then you'll sort of moderate. He doesn't want basically is that mar- in London? London Yes, it was near London. It's uh, north. It's in the home counties. Uh, but people from Godalming and Esher and places like that.
1: Those real places.
2: Yeah, they're real places. What? Are oh, there's some fantastic place names in the UK? I used to live in Wiverliscombe.
1: No so? way. Yeah. Was and that in that, Wales? That, that, or no,
2: that was in Somerset. And I used to live. Can
1: you oh, do the say it in the West Country accent?
2: I used to live in Wolverley, <laughs> but I also used to live in uh, Chipping Sodbury. <laughs> so See, good, nor- well,
1: northern place names are much more frank. Yeah, well, you might be right. But, well, they are surely.
2: Anyway, he says he's worried that you'll be inveigled into the uni way of speaking and she'll lose her great accent and he says hobo will never be the same. Could you say hobo for him for old time's sake? Hobo. There you go. i anyway, says keep not up performing the... monkey. No, I mean, it's true. I, 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 I hesitated before I asked you, but it's <laughs> for, for a listener. Now, if you do want to send us uh, an email, we'd always love to hear from you. And uh, what's the address, Ruth?
1: The address to send us an email is martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. That's
2: and m- <laughs> I know I like to repeat it. That's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com.
1: And if you want to listen to the Spotify songs in full, then you can find the and the ones from all the other weeks as well. You can find those on the Spotify playlist, which you need to type in uh, Martin and Ruth, and that'll go to the profile, or just Ruthie and me, me and my dad, and that'll go to the Playlist.
2: Yeah, and it's well worth doing. I've done that a couple of times, and it does point you to other stuff as well, which is like yeah,
1: because it's like song you get on this like red yeah. song radio it calls it. So yeah,
2: yeah. it's fantastic. Just go back briefly to uh, social media. You know, we've been saying, and that, the article that I quoted from from uh, Claire Fergus before, the worries and all the the pain of the world that's put on your shoulders with the environment and Brexit and all that. And uh, she said, like, social media is one of the big problems, and that's sort of become almost a cliche you know everybody Mm. says social media
1: people do blame stuff on social media when it probably shouldn't
2: be correct Uh, this is from uh, a very recent study the amount of time teenagers spend on social media has only a negligible effect on their happiness the most comprehensive study yet has found researchers Mm. at Oxford University blamed sloppy science for studies suggesting that time spent on social media could be linked to poor mental health Uh, they called for the concept of Green time, i.e. curbs on phone use and such like, to be abandoned after, after finding that only a tiny fraction of teenagers' uh, change in life satisfaction could be explained by the length of time they spent uh, online. So they say the effects of uh, social media use on happiness are tiny, Arguably trivial. Uh, the Oxford scientists have examined data on twelve thousand British children aged ten to fifteen. So a, a hell of a study that, who were questioned uh, over several years. So as a study that went on for a long time to assess whether changes in the social media, uh, etc., because it obviously does change all the time. You know, you move from Twitter yeah. to Instagram and all that, mm-hmm. has any effect? And their conclusion is no effect whatsoever, which it very much backs up what you were saying that it, it is a tool and. Uh, because you know, pa- as parents, we do get uh, obsessed with how much time our kids are spending on the mm-hmm. phone, largely because they're ignoring us while they're scrolling through the phone yeah. all the time. Uh, but you're probably right to ignore us because a lot of the time we'll just be heaping extra fears on you, you know, whether it's financial fears or fears about Brexit and all that sort of stuff. This is one of those occasions where you're right absolutely however i'm not sure you're right about euthanasia what's your what's your (laughs) thing you're saying my view
1: on euthanasia is that it should be legal my view on euthanasia is not that radical Uh,
2: yeah but you started off saying that when people get to 80 they should be euthanized (laughs)
1: I started saying that I think we will get to a point in the world where people are just living too long, like it's just not sustainable, mm. and there will have to be a point where the gov- the state decides that everyone has to, has to die when they're 80, and you'll get put down.
2: That's what you said. And that's what I said quite, originally. You, 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 shocked, you shocked the dinner table.
1: That's what I said originally. Especially if somebody
2: has two living grandparents, both over 80.
1: No, that's what I said originally. Right. And then we got onto a discussion just about euthanasia, but I'm not talking about... That's euthanasia as, like, a state-enforced governmental control in the far future. I'm talking about euthanasia just as it should be now, which is legal, Hmm. I think.
2: It should be legal, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would agree with you, wouldn't uh, argue. But
1: that's not that revolutionary. No. My thing about just putting down old people...
2: That was a bit dystopian.
1: Yeah, well, it is disturbing, but I'm just saying that, like, the NHS is under loads and loads of pressure, and part of that is because of obesity and a growing population, but a lot of that is because people live mm. longer.
2: So there have to be changes, but the changes wouldn't be people living less. You know, as you initially said, your initial theory was that at the age of 80, you should be told that's it, your time's up.
1: But Amongst other, other things, be, things that you I You should be do. living
2: as long as you want, as long as you can live without care. So living healthy yeah, is the important thing. Yeah, so because my grandparents comp- don't
1: really put a drain on the NHS because I mean, look, like granddad's cataracts. had a hip operation mm. and cataracts and those kind of things, but they're not in um, full-time hospice care or full-time mm. um, state care homes, which is the real—that's the real, real expensive thing. Mm. Although all those procedures are expensive, they're very expensive. and if they'd we have been killed them. off when they're eighty, they wouldn't have needed them. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, listen. <laughs> I'm not saying that I would actually do it and I would actually enforce it. I'm not saying it's even humane. I'm just saying that I could see it happening in the future as like a dystopian thing where there's just no way to sustain it with how long people live anymore and the only way to do it. But then we start talking about how it would probably be that if you could afford the care then you would get to live longer.
2: Yes, which of course is a terrible thing. It's, but know, that's
1: kind of how the world is now.
2: Well it's kind of how the world is, but it's not necessarily what you would approve of. I mean any when but when richer you richer people of,
1: do live in general longer yes, because they, do. they have healthier they lifestyles.
2: Do. Absolutely. And which is the
1: same thing, you know, you're paying to live.
2: Yeah. I mean you're absolutely in right.
1: roundabout terms it would just be no, you're absolutely staying right. force.
2: Well yes, I suppose at the moment it's but if something is state-enforced, then you do get into an Orwellian world. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. Say, I'm not saying
1: I would do it, and I don't think no, it's but very Even good. the thing you
2: said about the environment, if the state said you're only allowed one flight a year, one yeah. return flight a year, once the state starts I- imposing conditions like that on you, you do get into an Orwellian world. And but How fi- do
1: we solve climate change, if not? Without well, state intervention, I just don't know how you would do I think it. It has
2: to be state intervention, but I think it's very dangerous if the yeah. state plays a role in personal choice. Mm. I think they can yeah, play no, a propaganda who, role in personal choice. Who
1: watches the watchman as well? Yeah, and exactly. decides
2: And you know, when you look at uh, look at Russia, you're doing Russian uh, history mm. at school. When you look at Russia, uh, you found that the people who had the who, who were part of the communist communist establishment, they had the uh, the little holiday homes, the dachas by the sea. And everything they weren't restricted for travel. Yeah. You know, East Germany is a prime example. The people in East Germany, you know, would look at uh, West Germany and see that they had everything there. You know, especially when the TV signals started coming across. Whereas the leaders of East Germany, they would you know they would, they would go to Las Vegas with uh, you know and spend yeah, an and evening uh, consorting with hookers. Well, that,
1: well, that's the problem, isn't it? And I'm not saying it would be. I don't know how you would enforce, and I don't think you probably could. But I can't see a world in which we solve climate change without massive state intervention. Well, I think that's just
2: a massive state action on what the state can actually control itself. In... But
1: I'd also be happy to, like, it be state law that you, I, again, it goes really Orwellian, but personally, I want to grow up in a world where I, I can have children and know that they're going to live in a world that's not destroyed. Do you know what I mean?
2: Until they're 80. Just before we do the uh, Meme of the Week, uh, Mm -hmm. so you can put your phone down, we'll do the Meme of the Week in a sec. We ought to at least big up uh, the film that we saw the other day.
1: Oh, Uh, yeah, we should have talked about it when we talk about social media, really.
2: 8th grade. Now, this was uh, a 15-year-old girl uh, the film was all about. I think she's 14. 14 in the film, Mm -hmm. um, 16 in real life. Yes. But phenomenal performance. It was brilliant. Elsie Fisher.
1: Yeah, it's really, really good, and it makes me really thankful that I'm not 14 now and grow. Well, so, and I've kind of missed out in, on some of the social media, like the yes, how just it's, how it's, an idea. You are, it's called it.
2: eighth grade. I absolutely recommend in, it without reservation, and it's about uh, a girl whose whose whole life is she's growing up in the social media. Her it's just about yeah, a normal 13
1: year old's yeah. life, really, yeah. and
2: but very social media it's very
1: social media heavy because
2: that's what what life
1: is do you know what I mean I don't think it's I wouldn't ever call it a film about social media or about the repercussions of social media it's just a film about a 14 year old girl's life and a lot of that is online very funny very funny, mm. really funny. It's written and directed by Bo Burnham.
2: And he's a YouTuber. He
1: does YouTube it? and stuff. I don't actually know, I've not looked, but he does do YouTube and stuff. So all the um, references are spot on and things.
2: Oh, the references are absolutely yeah. spot on. Uh, because she's always telling her dad not to be weird. And I could the, like, identify um, with that.
1: <laughs> but all the uh, so, sort of like, um, what do they call like pop culture references are really spot on as well, which is nice. But it's weird seeing, like, a coming-of-age film where I'm so much older than the girl in it.
2: Yeah. Usually well, you're not so much older, are you? 18, like four years.
1: 15, four years, yeah. yeah. it's quite a long time. But, yeah, it's weird seeing a film where... And
2: she does go to... Uh, she has a sort of uh, uh, an induction day at high school, which we see. And the high school kids yeah. are there, like, 17 or 18.
1: They're, like, they're my year. They're your age, My yeah. like 18. But yeah, it's weird seeing a film where she the the world is really different mm-hmm. to all the coming set of age films. Over about a
2: week, isn't it? The, towards the end of school. Yeah, I think. it's like yeah. the
1: end of um, the end of middle school. So yeah. it's like eight which is eighth grade, but I think it's year nine.
2: Yeah, but absolutely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's really uh, good. Try and see eighth grade if you can. Uh, don't see Dinner for Schmucks because that is really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Do you have a meme of the week?
1: I do. So it's like text messages. Mm. Um, but anyway, one of the first one is like every time I get in the shower, I think of you. Um, is it because you wish I was there with you too? Winky face. Um, no, it's because the French word for shower is douche, which I like because it's.
2: French. It helps you with your French. Yes. Mm. Good winky face. Uh, ex- excellent it, just a reminder if you want to send us an email we'd love to get it it's martin and ruth podcast at gmail.com and mm-hmm. uh, we have a playlist on spotify which you can find simply by going to martin I'll put in martin and ruth
1: just go to spotify and just type in martin and ruth or ruthie me and my dad
2: uh, and thank you very much indeed for listening you're welcome no not you <laughs>